Hello, this is Alex Granado, Senior Reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with James Ford, consultant with Filling the Gap Educational Consultants and Executive Director for CREED, the Center for Racial Equity and Education. CREED is releasing Deep Rooted, a brief history of race and education in North Carolina, and Erasing Inequities, the State of Racial Equity in North Carolina. Content related to these reports is being featured in Education NC throughout the month of August. I have James Ford here to talk all about it. James, thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, pleased, to, pleased to be with you again, Alex. And so we're talking about the Racing Inequities Report. And uh, just a quick recap, last week we were talking about uh, some of the data regarding uh, teachers, suspension and discipline, chronic absenteeism, and dropouts. This week we're going to be talking about some different things, mm-hmm. academically and intellectually gifted students, exceptional children, access to honors courses, AP courses, GPA, all that sort of thing. Um, so let me start by just having you talk a little bit about, uh, what kind of things we're going to see in the articles this week. Yeah. So, um, you know, some of the same, the sad thing is if you've been following any of the previous articles or releases that the case is pretty solid. I mean, that the patterns are pretty, pretty rigid. They're not changing a whole lot. Um, what you tend to see is that whites and Asians uh, usually um, hover above or at, or at the top of the heap. Um, and in terms of access, opportunity, and outcomes, uh, it's populated by primarily um, black, Native American, multiracial, and Latinx students. And it, there is a slight variation in the order in some categories, but for the most part, uh, it's a predictable arrangement. So, so let's go through some of these categories. Let's, let's start with um, academically and intellectually gifted students. What kind of things did you find? Sure, yeah. So for AIG, um, one thing that should be noted is that um, there is a concerted effort uh, as a state to try to, you know, do better with identifying AIG students, right? And, you know, each district kind of has their own approach to doing that. There's no preformed way. Uh, about or how which one should go identifying uh, who, which students are AIG. Um, but there's a couple of different ways you can be identified. You can be identified as AIG in reading or in math or in other uh, categories as well. And so in our report, we break out uh, the AIG numbers for reading specifically. We break it out for math specifically and then other. Um, but for the purposes of a glance uh, overview, uh, we'll just say uh, AIG for any. Right. So when looking at AIG being qualified for AIG for any, uh, should be stated that um, Asian students are uh, disproportionately overrepresented in that any category. Right. Uh, Second only to uh, white students relative to their population. Um, And then um, black students, again, um, are just underrepresented when it comes to AIG identification, as well as Latinx students and Pacific Islanders as well as a proportion. they're just not there in the numbers that you would expect them to be. And as a result of that, um, you know, you have to consider that as many as 10,000 students, additional black students would be needed uh, to really bring them to a truly representative uh, point when it comes to AIG enrollment. But just currently, as it stands, it's just not happening for one reason or another. So that's something that deserves to be looked at, but um, it impacts them a couple of different ways, right? One, it makes them because they don't have access to as rigorous courses, doesn't make them as attractive candidates as they matriculate through higher education. But then also you just think about the human capital, right, that gets endowed to someone when they go through uh, gifted and talented programs. Uh, Those students are are being denied that for one reason or another in ways that are disproportionate. And so that, that deserves to be looked at and explored some more. 
And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have exceptional children. How does the data play out there? Yeah, so that's really interesting um, because on, on the one hand, to the naked eye, there's certainly um, some racialized patterns to, you know, who is identified as exceptional um, and who is not. So um, Native American students uh, have the highest rate of uh, EC enrollment uh, at about 17%. And that's pretty staggering when you consider that this is a a portion of the population is really just it's 1% of overall public school enrollment, right? But again, um, as a group, I think that we just had to pay better attention to Native students in North Carolina. There's a lot uh, that's going on in there. It, it's it's underexposed, very rarely talked about, and yet it's pretty consistent, right, across the board. Um, you know, across, you know, they're followed by multiracial students uh, and black students as well in terms of enrollment um, in, in uh, EC programs. But what's interesting is that from per, when you just look at race by itself, yeah, those groups, natives, blacks, and multiracial students are overrepresented in EC. Once you control, once we build in uh, that model that controls for the other factors, right, once those variables come into play, it's it's virtually eliminated, right? There's really no statistically significant difference except for uh, Native students. They're the one group that is consistently, even after controlling for those other factors, over-identified by comparison to white students. And so I found that to be pretty interesting. And it's something, again, we're just going to have to look at because uh, something's happening, even if we don't understand entirely uh, what the case is. And when you talk about these other factors you're controlling for to, to come to this conclusion, what are some of those factors? Sure. So we're talking about class uh, using, you know, free and reduced lunch or socioeconomic status. Uh, we're talking about language proficiency. Uh, we're talking about um, gender. We're talking about um, giftedness, right, um, whether or not they ident- identified as gifted. Um, and, you know, those are some of the things we build into the predictive model to try to see what the level of variance was and if those things uh, eliminate or, you know, uh, counteract race. And like I mentioned, for the other categories, they do, for the other subgroups, they do with exception to Native American students. And so that's why that's a, a pretty pronounced finding. And so you also take a look at uh, things like access to honors courses and AP courses, which we know can be really important in getting students uh, a leg up when they're going to go into post-secondary education. How does that uh, work out when you look at the data? Yeah, so you, I appreciate you framing it that way because for anybody who's really concerned about the notion of college and career readiness, um, these are some categories that should really uh, jump off the page and should really be of great concern. Uh, we'll start with AP courses. Of course, the advanced placement courses, uh, you know, they, you know, one is there, there's three things you have to look at, right, or a couple of things you have to look at. One is uh, who's enrolling, right? Are students of color enrolling at numbers that are proportionate to the size of the population? Are they taking the test? And then are they passing in a way that's credit bearing? Are they getting a three or a higher on these AP tests? And so uh, from the from the outset, right, the inputs are are racialized, right? So uh, black, Latinx, and Native students are substantially underrepresented when it comes to AP course taking in general. Uh, I know that some districts and LEAs are, are trying hard at getting that number up and getting more enrollment, right? Um, but as it stands right now, it, there's still a, a pretty uh, disparate um uh, a pretty big discrepancy, shall we say, between those racialized groups. We decided to key in on the three most uh taken classes, three most taken AP classes, because there are 38 in total, right? Those are uh, AP English, AP U.S. History, and AP Environmental Science. 
in these in these three categories, race and ethnicity remain a significantly uh, significant predictive factor of scoring a three or better, um, even after controlling for some of those other variables that I mentioned. So I consider that Native American and black students were about 60 percent less likely to earn a three or better compared to other white counterparts across all three of those exams. That's a pretty pretty staggering number uh, with Latinx students being around 30% less likely by comparison to whites. Now this is not causal. We don't know what's, you know, what's, you know, driving that, but it at least raises some alarms and, you know, rings some bells for us that we ought to pay, uh, pay attention to. And even for multiracial students, um, you know, the number is, is less, but it's still 18% less likely um, in one area of U S history, but not so much for the English language, uh, AP English and environmental science. I should pause here to say that of the 20,000 students in each of these courses every year that are taking AP, very small percentage of ELs or English uh, English learners, which is, you know, problematic, right? So for AP U.S. History, only 12 of the 29,000 students that took that exam were ELs. 12 uh, of AP English exam, only only four and of environmental science, only 11. Now, clearly we know that there are students who are English language learners who have the ability to take rigorous courses like AP, but we, we just might need to interact more targeted intervention strategies to make sure that we're incorporating and being thoughtful about uh, English language learners. There's, there's other things in addition to that that I, that I also think are noteworthy. So consider the fact that, like, if you're trying to go to college, right, um, Taking AP classes makes you exponentially more attractive, right, as a candidate for schools and universities, right? Um, but what if your school um, doesn't offer a lot of AP classes, right? Just by virtue of the school that you go to, like, there's a structural impediment to you having access to rigorous courses. We found that, right, that for students of color, uh, the higher the density of students of color at a school, uh, the lower the number of AP courses that are offered, like particularly uh, when we're talking about like 76% to 100% uh, students of color, like there's a, there's a marked drop off. But then what's frightening about that, Alex, is there's something called the North Carolina Academic uh, Scholars Endorsement, right? That, you know, it's like a, it's like a recognition, a status uh, symbol for schools, right, who offer AP courses. If your school offers fewer than three courses, three AP courses, you don't qualify for, your school doesn't qualify for the endorsement. Sixty percent of the of the students of color that we that we uh measured go to schools where fewer than three ap courses are offered so think about this like their school alone as a structure is preventing them from being able to uh take advantage of a status symbol that could give them more luster as a candidate because they don't offer enough courses to qualify for this endorsement that's frightening right that's a structural inequality that has to be dealt with uh just by virtue of the population of the school and that's that's not acceptable Right, because even if they can qualify, they don't have the opportunity to partake. And that's right. It's that's why we like to say it's an opportunity gap, right? And that's really what we're what we're measuring with this report. And so, one of the things we talk about possibly the most when we talk about schools is GPA. Yeah. What What's some of the data you found surrounding that? You know, so I mean, again, man, fairly predictable. Um, from a descriptive standpoint, you know, um, highest GPAs are of Asian students uh, followed by white students. Um, but, you know, 
non-Asian students of color um, don't perform well as, as well academically. And when you think about the quality points that are associated with taking honors in AP classes, it's no small wonder then, right, if these courses aren't, aren't offered or if they're not being enrolled, why the GPAs are suffering, right? why they don't hover at the same levels as some of these other groups. Um, there's some structural, <laughs> there's some um, structural things that are somewhat preventing, right? And the other thing is, you know, I just had to pause here. Um, I, I think it's tempting, and you'll probably encounter this right when reading this report, and it's a valid question, is what explains the Asian uh, overperformance, right? And that's one that I want to get into as well in, in future research, right? Uh, there's literature um, that posits a bunch of different theories. I think, though, the reason that we framed these uh various indicators around access and opportunity and not just outcomes is because if you just look at outcomes without looking at the access, it can recycle some very dangerous narratives about other subgroups, right? That their cultures don't support or uh, think that the, the education is, is uh, a valued experience. Um, and I don't think that's what's occurring here. Um, I'd really like to be able to, to, to disaggregate the Asian category <laughs> because it stands to reason if you really do that, that you look at how Southeast Asians are performing um, versus Far East Asians or, you know, Central Asians or South Asians. It's a hugely expansive group, and that almost papers over what's certainly going to be another story uh, that needs to be delved into further as well. All right. Well, James, thanks so much for talking with us. Appreciate you for having me. We've been talking with James Ford, consultant with Filling the Gap Educational Consultants and Executive Director for CREED, the Center for Racial Equity in Education. CREED is releasing Deep Rooted, a brief history of race and education in North Carolina and erasing inequities, the state of racial equity in North Carolina. Content related to these reports is being featured on Education NC throughout the month of August. Stay tuned and thanks for listening.